scripture reading this morning is Luke 10, verses 25 through 37. It can be found on page 735 of your two Bibles. The parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? How did you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place of Zion, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. words today be your words, O Lord. May our hearts and minds be open to hear what you have to say to us, that we may be better followers of your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. So, who is your neighbor? That's not Mr. Rogers. Well, when I was growing up, we lived what we considered to be out in the country. You probably would not consider us to be out in the country, but in Pennsylvania, the area we lived was, it was out of town, so it was out in the country. To the back of us were fields. Right behind our, our family lot was a field. Many times the farmer had corn, a lot of times he had wheat. Some years he put in tobacco. We lived in an area where, when I was younger, tobacco farming was they don't grow as much tobacco there as they did before. Across the road was a slope field where they couldn't put much in, and then down below was another set of fields. But on either side of us, there were homes. On the one side were the Schmecks, Lawrence, Marvin, and Don. He was a bricklayer. He had, a, he had his uh, bricks back in the back part of their lot, and it made for a handy backstop when we played baseball. We played a lot of two-man baseball. He never lived and didn't play two-man baseball, but it didn't go. On the other side, we had the Snyders. Mel and Arlene and their children came and came. Their kids were considerably younger. The neighbor daughter, she was the same age as my younger brother, so we played a lot with her, but we also played with the kids next door, the younger ones. And I would say, you know, they thought we were good neighbors and we were good neighbors to them. Everybody got along and everything was fine. 
Now we're here, and if you say, well, who are your neighbors here? Well, it's a little bit more difficult because on one side we have the church. Well, not too many people live here during the week. Of course, we have Tim Meyer and his family across the street, and now Tim's daughter lives on the other side across the street from us, where Todd and Tammy Gilbo used to live. Of course, Mary Jane's just down the street, and Don and Donna are down the street. But I like to say we have some of the quietest neighbors that anybody could ever have because we've got the cemetery. <laughs> and and there, there are great neighbors down there. I mean, you never hear a peep out of them. Uh, you know, there's you know, no rowdy parties, or not anybody else has rowdy parties, but there's never, never anything going on. Although I, sometimes I think at night there must be something going on because the dogs are outside. And they're barking down that way all the time. So I don't know if they're barking at the lights or if they're barking at the deer or squirrels or what they're barking at. I hope it's only the lights, the deer, the squirrels, rabbits, and stuff like that, nothing else. But what is a neighbor? Well, it's been said that one cannot define a person's neighbor. A person can only be a neighbor. And somebody else said, your neighbor is anyone whose need you see, whose need you are able to meet. A neighbor is someone who says, what is mine is God, and what is God's belongs to my neighbor, because my neighbor belongs to God. So it goes a little bit more, a little bit beyond just living adjacent to somebody. Well, in our gospel reading this morning, Jesus is asked, who is my neighbor? And Jesus didn't give a simple answer. Jesus very seldom gave a simple answer to questions. He didn't say it's the person who lives next door or across the street or something like that. No, Jesus in his own special, special way tells a parable about being a neighbor. We've heard the parable. I'm not going to go through it in depth. But consider the three main characters in this parable, other than the man who was beaten and robbed. We have a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. It almost sounds like the start of a bad joke, doesn't it? Priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan are walking down the road. Okay. Three individuals in this story, raising all kinds of expectations among the people that hear it. Because you see, first of all, we have the priest. He is God's representative. We have a Levite. He's the priest's assistant in the temple. And these are people who are to represent righteousness and goodness. And Jesus' listeners would have expected them to help. The Samaritans, on the other hand, they were despised because of their ethnic and religious impurities. And the hearers would have expected the Samaritan to walk on past. So why did the priest and the Levite ignore the injured man? It's easy to justify wrong behavior, even for those who claim to be living for God. The priest and the Levite may have told themselves, well, this man's already dead. And if I go and touch a dead body, well, now I'm unclean. I can't serve in the temple. Or maybe he thought it was a trap. Maybe the bandits were still nearby and they were going to rob him. Both saw the condition of the man, who was most likely a Jew. 
And the priest, remember, he offers sacrifices for the people. He's supposed to be a spiritual servant of the people. And so too the Levite. But we don't know enough about the life of these people, only that they walked on past. They didn't want to be unclean. They didn't want to be judged. Maybe they had some other <coughs> personal reasons. Put yourself into their position. You're driving down the highway, and you see a car off to the side of the road with what appears to be either a flat tire <coughs> or car trouble. Did you stop and offer assistance? And I would venture to say, no, you don't. And why don't you stop? Well, maybe you're in a hurry to get to where you're going. Maybe you're in the wrong lane and you can't get over it in a timely fashion. In today's world, you may be concerned that the person could be a carjacker. You pull over to help and they rob you and steal your car. Maybe you figure everybody carries a cell phone nowadays. If the person's in trouble, they probably already called 911. The state police are on their way. They've called AAA. AAA's going to come and change their tire, what have you. No matter what, we don't stop, do we? And is that right? Is that the neighborly thing to do? I brought this up to the people in the Bible study. We talked about this parable this past Thursday at the Senior Citizens Bible Study. And everybody, to a person, basically said the same thing. Today, no, I wouldn't stop. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, I would have stopped. Different time. Not to mention the fact that 20, 30 years ago, people didn't carry cell phones. But they would have stopped and rendered aid. So consider the Samaritan now. He didn't let race come into practice. He didn't let the condition of the man impact his decision to stop and help. He let go of all the past hurts. He didn't allow cultural context to come into play. He stopped because he felt it was God's desire for him to help this person. And loving our neighbor involves caring for those in need, anyone who crosses our path. Certainly our friends, but most importantly, those who we let may like the least. <coughs> those that we like the least are probably those who need our assistance the most. Here's another thought that I came across as I was looking over this parable and doing some reading. Origin of Alexandria was an early Christian theologian and scholar. He gives this interpretation. Some of you may have heard this, and if I did, I don't remember it, so this might be new. It kind of analyzes the characters in the parable. The man who's walking first represents Adam, the representative of all of us, sinful humanity. Jerusalem is the paradise that he's going to 
and Jericho that he's coming from is the whole world. So he's leaving the world, striving to go to paradise, just like all of us. We're striving to get to heaven. So we're traveling down through the world, trying to get into heaven. The robbers, they're the hostile powers. They're Satan, Satan's demons. They rob and they beat on sinful man. The priest represents the law of the Jews. The Levite represents the prophets. All good things in their own way, but they're still lacking something. The Samaritan? Ah. The Samaritan represents Christ. The wounds the man suffers are the sins of disobedience. The beast, because remember the Samaritan picks the man up, lays him on his donkey. That represents Christ's body carrying us. And the inn to where the man is taken, which accepts everyone who wishes to enter, that's the church. And the manager of the inn is the head of the church to whom his care is entrusted. And finally, at the very end, what does Samaritan say? He says, I will come back and pay you what is necessary for the care for this man. He promises to return. And that's what Christ does. He promises to return in his second coming. Well, that kind of placed this parable in a different light for me. I don't know about you. Those of us who experience eternal life with Jesus, we must love others as Jesus loves us. And so just as Jesus loves his neighbor, just as the Samaritan loved the Jewish man who was attacked by the robbers, we too must love our neighbor. Even if they may not like us, even if they may not be able to pay us back. Because Jesus loves unconditionally. And we should too. The legal expert who came to visit Jesus, he saw the wounded man as a topic of discussion. The bandits as an opportunity to exploit something. The priest as a prophet to, as a problem to avoid. The Levite as an object of curiosity. Only the Samaritan treated the man as someone to love. And so we learn three illustrations about loving our neighbor. Lack of love is easy to justify, even though it's never right. Our neighbor is anyone of any race, creed, or social background who is in need. And love, love means acting to meet the needs of someone else. Wherever you live, needy people are close by, and there is not a good reason for refusing to help. So who is your neighbor? Maybe a better question would be, am I a neighbor? Think about that and discover it for yourself. Let us pray. Father God, your word teaches that you are love. Please fill me and cause me to exhibit who is loved to the world. Let me love to the glory of your holy name.
pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn in the Red Hymnal is number 429. Please stand if you're able.